Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back to episode 16. Now that I mention it, I'm kind of wondering, are we ever going to stop counting these and just do the episodes? Is, is number really required? Uh, I guess I'm asking no one in particular. Our topic is prototyping as a skill versus, you know, the other kinds of prototyping, which are not skills. Tom, hmm. what skill class is prototyping? Uh, it's a 7.003 uh, revision 87. 87. Man, that is way up there. Hmm. Definitely don't want to see the first 86 versions. <sighs> All right. Well, um, Tanda, what did you find in your research on prototyping? I, f- I found some interesting stories about you know, the the first time things were made and just kind of some of the oddities that people had to push through or figure out the first time something was made. One of them that I found interesting was uh, when they were making the SR-71, the spy plane. Mm. Oh, it's my favorite. People have probably heard of this, possibly have heard of this before. But the SR-71, when they made it, they had a lot of uh, titanium fuselage uh, mounts for the fuel tanks and they were made such that they sealed when they got to working temperature right but on the ground they wouldn't seal and the seals couldn't withstand the temperature and so at some point rather than trying to fix it they just said we'll fuel it up on the runway it will leak fuel until it's up to temperature and so i think for most of its history they filled it with fuel at the uh, on the runway, and they took off with it leaking fuel. And once the uh, fittings came up to temperature, they sealed, and all was well. But I thought that was interesting and kind of indicative of prototyping, where you're not trying to make it perfect. You're just trying to make everything work together and achieve that function that you're after, knowing that Maybe on a future iteration, whether that's you know the U2 in this case or something that's down the road, there's better material. There's a you know a new trick or technique to do it, and uh, and you just get it functioning and keep moving forward each time instead of trying to make it perfect. And so I thought that was a good story that was kind of reflective of prototyping being this thing where you have this function you want to achieve, and however you get there is fine so so i am a bit of a sr-71 geek that was my favorite aircraft growing up is that I'm, a particular classification of geek an sr-71 geek that, that is the blackbird geek that okay is, uh, that is the, the sr-71 blackbird so um what you said is 100 percent accurate uh, when they actually got back when the when the planes landed they actually put it in a hangar that had a gigantic for lack of a better term, tray. Like it basically sat in like a giant dish and just leaked fuel after it was done. Uh, and the, 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 the parts that leaked, this jet flew at such high pressure that the amount of, um, I don't know the exact specific terms, like hyperbaric pressure, it's, it basically what happened is as it flew and the air pressure increased, uh, if you look at the wings, the wings are made up of ridges, and the ridges are, 
I guess convex is when it's rounded outward. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they look convex when it's sitting still, but when it gets up to pressure, all of those ridges become convex or converse. Con did they go concave. they flip concave. concave that's it concave yeah. my words are hard so converse it, is a high top oh that's Continue. true yeah the sneaker so they basically pop from being above to inside and when that happens that's when all the joints seal up and it stops leaking fuel all right fun fact that ties directly into what we're about to talk about so you said that eventually you know the next iteration is when you fix those problems well i'm here to tell you that no one ever makes a second version, ever, of anything they've ever made in the maker community, especially. The Air Force officially retired the SR-71 in 1990, but NASA would still use two of them for research until 1997. Lockheed Martin is currently developing a successor to the SR-71 Blackbird, the SR-72, which may be tested in 2020, which means it will never happen. So you're off the hook for not making the second iteration of the thing you made. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, the, so you're basically saying the skunk works as a bunch of makers, which may be true. Wait, what? Tom doesn't know what skunk works is, Tanta. No, I'm, I'm basically a millennial. Oh well, oh, then it then it's a um, for millennials it's a odiferous mammal works. Oh, why didn't you just say that? Yeah, it's yeah. it's more it's a more politically correct version. <laughs> Skunkworks was the team that designed the SR-71, Tom. Ah, I didn't know that. That was just the name. So they, uh, anyway, moving on to uh, to your research, Tom. Was that was that all you found or was there more? No, that's all I found. I just Googled it while you guys were talking and I wasn't listening. Uh, I didn't really do research like, you know, usual, but... Uh, I find it interesting, you know, they throw around the word, the term like, or the 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 story that Benjamin Franklin tried a thousand times to make the light bulb, right? And they use that as this encouraging example. <laughs> and, he, and he failed horribly, and so then eventually Edison made it? Oh, right, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Franklin just gave up and made the bifocals and swim flippers and the Ben Franklin stove and a whole bunch of other things. But I didn't even, I didn't even research my joke. <laughs> But the but the light bulb he just totally gave up on that he made yeah. he, he made half a dozen other things but uh, the light bulb was beyond him. All right, that's what I meant to say, Edison. <laughs> and and now I'm going to talk about Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin only tried to make a country once. I don't know what Edison's problem was. Franklin had a long list of inventions. He he was he, he was did. That's why I good, mixed the two guys up. A good maker. For sure, for sure. Anyways, I got nothing. PJ, what you got? Well, I tried to look up the history of prototyping, like when prototyping was invented. And all it kept going back to was in the 1960s is when prototyping was like officially recognized in the industry. And they started developing ra uh, rapid prototyping methods. That was, that was basically it. However, I found a few interesting things. So before that, did they just call the first one this wonky one that doesn't quite work right? I mean, they before that before it was a prototype. They still use those terms in industry. Probably, yeah. I, I think it was just like oh, that one's bad. Let's make another. That was, you know, this is the second one. Uh, I did find that there was some 
basic prototype categories, um, which I thought was interesting. There's a proof of principle prototype, working prototype, visual prototype, a paper prototype, uh, and then a functional prototype. So there's there's classifications. So we, we probably could have added that to the classification for our skill class, but you know, obviously it was. Uh, I have a, I have a comment on visual prototypes. I think that there's um, potentially some difficulty these days with 3D modeling being so good and rendering being so good. I just sat through kind of a, a PDR today, which is a preliminary design review. And you can draw things now and model them. And for a lot of folks, it it's very impressive. They look at it and it looks like it's done because visually it looks like it's done. Mm-hmm. And you're maybe 5% of the way there. Um, but I think it can lead people. I think a visual prototype that you present can lead people to think you're, you know, you're all but done. Ready for production. If they, if they, if they aren't in that same, you know, uh, kind of skill set or, you know, maybe they're in management or they're not the person responsible for doing it, that you can make visual prototypes so good now and even they can move and interact and the parts can interact and you can be miles from something that actually works, but people are led to believe you're really close. That's called pulling a fast one. <laughs> as, as the research continued here, um, I found something, well, it led me down a bit of a rabbit hole here. It said, uh, basically the definition of prototyping is prototyping serves to provide specifications for real working systems rather than a theoretical one. In some design workflow models, creating a prototype, a process sometimes called materialization, which I found kind of interesting, is a step between formalization and the evaluation of an idea. Materialization sounds like the Star Trek thing, like you're, Hmm. you know, you're just making something out of thin air. But anyway, it goes on to say that the word prototype is derived from the Greek word prototypon. So then I started researching the Greek history of the proto. And this is what I found. Uh, it actually comes from Proteus, who was the old man of the sea uh, that was like a servant to Poseidon. Which I'm like, yeah, of course he is. That's, that's where prototypes come from, right? Uh, Proteus knew uh, everything about the past, present, and future. Uh, and he didn't like telling anybody about any of it. So, like, if you wanted to ask him a question, you had to, like, surprise him and then catch him and, like, tie him up. But apparently he could change forms. So he could just change into, like, whatever he wanted to to get out of being tied up. So then you had to, like, keep retying him up. And then if you finally trapped him, then he would, like, tell you something. And then he would just change shapes again and run away. And so as you get us closer to modern age, uh, then this is where Proteus ran into Thomas Edison, who is the inventor of the electric typewriter. You mean Benjamin Franklin. And now we have the prototyper. What was that, Tom? <laughs> I, I think you meant uh, Benjamin Franklin, not, not Thomas Edison. No, Thomas Edison invented the typewriter in 1872. Oh, that's right. That's right. And, and when Proteus found it, he became a prototyper. That's that's how nice. the prototyping started. So that was that was my research led me to. Oh, this is fact checked, by the way. So writing is the precursor to a prototype. 
proto would be uh, the precursor to typing. I'm just telling you what I found. I don't really know. Oh, okay. There's got to be some alternative facts out there. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate that you do your research because uh, it keeps the teacher happy and it makes Tom and I look better. It does. What teacher are we talking about here? Mr. Smith? Well, yeah. When Mr. Smith grades us each week, you know that score we get on the podcast? That's Mr. Smith. No. What? Who's grading us? Well, he's on he's on Apple Podcasts, and, and we get a grade. I, I Maybe just because I upload them, I see it. But, uh, yeah, Mr. Smith gives us a grade, and at the end of the year, we'll either pass or, or fail. Uh, I, I don't recognize his authority. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. So thanks to COVID, the junk shortage continues. However, I did find something. And it wasn't the best of deals, but it was a pretty good deal, I'd say. I found this guy named Joe. I know Tom wants to call him Joey, but his his name was Joe. <laughs> it's just... Have you met anybody with more than four letters in their name? He he told you his name was Joe. I think it was actually Joseph, but he just said, call me Joe. So I, I don't know. But this guy, he had a 30-inch by 15-inch, what he called a workbench. Really, it was like a long end table. But it was made out of, it was welded out of uh, angle iron. Uh, it was like thick, thick angle iron, like quarter-inch. The thing, it was heavy. This thing was heavy duty, like I could tell from looking at it. However, mounted to this workbench was a three-inch Colombian vice. And if you, when I put the picture up, you guys see it, you'll recognize it immediately. There is a style of Colombian vice that has, let's say, piping in the casting that goes all the way around. So it's it's kind of like a, it's like a raised line that that goes around the lettering on the top and the bottom. And it's very, very specific. It's very iconic for this particular, that's the only time they ever did this. But I happen to have that vice in a four inch model. And here was the three inch model. So it looks like, you know, the baby version. I'm like, oh, this is cool. So he had originally listed it for 40 bucks and then he lowered it to 35. So of course, then I messaged him. I'm like, hey, would you take 25? And he goes, I'll take 30. And I'm like, all right, yeah. I'll, I'll come get it for 30. So he gives me his address and doesn't tell me anything, okay? Which is, is going to seem a little weird. I drive out. It is right on the border for New Jersey. Like you can look across the water from Pennsylvania to New Jersey. And I get to the place and I pull in and it's literally like a, not a Bates Motel, but it's like one of those woodland resort type places that like people would go like to be on the river. And and it looks like no one's there at all. And I'm facing a lake or something that was drawn off of the river. Like it was, it was not part of the river. And I'm looking around and there's just nobody there. And I'm like, I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. It, this is a resort. So the guy gave me his phone number, so I called him, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not sure where I am." He goes, "Oh, you're across the street." I'm like, "How do you know that?" He goes, "Because I'm in my truck across the street. I could see you." <laughs> <laughs> okay, and he goes, "Yeah, just come back up the driveway and follow me. We'll drive around. I'm in, I'm in a silver truck," and I'm like, "No, I'm in a silver truck." He goes, "Yeah, I'm in a silver truck too." 
So then I follow, I go turn around, I follow him, and it, he leads me down this driveway, and the 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 area looks like odd, like it's not a neighborhood. The opposite side of the street was like very manicured, but it was it was very hard to describe. It almost had the feeling of being like a zoo. Uh, I, I don't know how else to put it. So then we get to this building that says Holistic Healing Center. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this makes tons of sense. He pulls in, I pull in next to him, and the stuff is in this, it's not a shed, it's attached to the building, but it's like a closet that's like outdoors. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like a door that goes into the building, but it's a closet. And by the way, inside this closet, there's a gas pump, like for filling up your car with gasoline that's in a closet inside the closet. Like it's, it was very meta, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I tell this guy, I'm like, this, this place is kind of weird. He goes, oh yeah, back in the 50s, it used to be a chicken farm. I'm like, what? How, how, how does it go from a chicken farm to like a resort and you got a gas pump? I said, this doesn't make any sense. And he goes, oh, you don't think this makes sense? Come here, take a look at this. He takes me outside around the edge of the building and they're growing against the building. There is, I'd say, like a three-foot diameter tree, okay? It had been there for a while. Right where the tree is, like where the building and the tree meet, there's a door. And he goes, look at that. And I'm just staring at it. And I'm like, why did they put a door here? He goes, I don't know. Why would you put a door in front of a tree? You can't open it. You can't get in. There was no doorknob. I'm just like, okay. Uh, so my guess is they wanted a window here and uh, they didn't have a window. So they just put the door in because the door has a big window in the door. And he goes, yeah, but you can't see it from inside. What are you talking about? It's walled off inside. There's, you can't see the door inside. <laughs> so, so like nothing made any sense. It sounds like one of those things where... Uh... Like, uh, you know, some snooty building inspector came out at some time and said, oh, for this num this amount of square footage, you're going to have to have a second. You're going to have to have a, a door in the back. <laughs> yeah. And the owner was just like, OK, F you, I'll, I'll you. put a door in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That That's about where we're at. This It, it doesn't make any sense. So <clears throat> I go and I, I look at the, the workbench and everything. I'm like, all right, yeah, this is cool. I was like, what else you got? And he had, a, he had some other tools that were he was just charging like way too much money for. Like he had a, a rigid miter saw he wanted like $150. So I'm like, nah, nah, not going to happen. And then I'm like, what else you got? He, goes, he, had, a, uh, he had a Harbor Freight uh, 1x30 belt sander. And uh, uh, how much you want for this? 50 bucks. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, this is a piece of garbage. So um, I said, you said you had some small tools. So then I go through, he's got like, He's got toolboxes, gigantic wooden toolboxes full of stuff that look like he bought it at a garage sale and just dumped everything in there. Out of that, I managed to pull out a number six Stanley hand plane in pieces. Like we literally had to find all the pieces because it had fallen apart. And the blade wasn't even in the toolbox. The blade was in his house because he'd removed it to use it as a paint scraper. Because that's, of course, the natural thing you do, right? Yep. Instead of getting a spatula, you know, or a spackle knife or something, you'd use a, a blade from a hand plane. Then I found uh, what I think was the coolest thing, a Diston Carpenter Square. It was 
Well, now we know. Is Carpenter Square the one that looks like a triangle, or is it L-shaped? I can't remember. Triangle is a speed square? Speed square. Okay, so yeah, it's like L-shaped. speed square? No, it's an L-shape. It's a Carpenter Square, ah. but it says it's, it's like a, a framing square. Framing square. That's what, see, yeah, I'm having mm-hmm. trouble with words tonight. Framing square. Uh, I want to say it was like a 10-inch framing square. And, of course, it's got the steel on the long end, and then the handle end is cast, and it says Distin. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I've never seen one of these before. So I ticked that out, and then uh, he gave me a—this is kind of random, but he had the locking system for a vice, like the bar that goes underneath, the two bolts that go up through the lock, and then the two swivel locks that lock a vice into place— he just randomly had it. He's like, here, you could have this. Uh, okay, yeah, sure. And then as I'm rooting through the box, I found an on-off switch for some kind of machine. And I'm like, I want that. So I just took it. And it, it, it looks like a little, like a one-inch, just a toggle switch. And um, so, I, I, you know, I put all this stuff on there. I'm like, how much you want for all this stuff? He goes, how about 20 bucks? I said, how about 10 mm-hmm. bucks? And he goes, how about 15? I'm like, and all right, I could do fifteen, sure. So that was my haul for forty-five bucks. So then we're we're loading everything into the truck, and we tip the workbench up and over, and I look at the bottom of the the. It's got a wood top. It's got a wood top, and then a wood shelf in the lower part. And as we're tipping it into my truck, I notice that the wood is burnt, like really badly, like like bonfire burnt. And I'm like, oh, shushugi bon. And he looks at me and he goes, "What?" <laughs> and I said, "Shishugibon, you know, when you when you burn something so that it's fire resistant." He thought you were flirting with him. He goes, "Oh no, this was in a shop fire." Oh, sure, yeah, that's that's perfectly natural. Shop fire. So, so then I loaded everything up and I left. That was my deal. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. Tom, what's your personal history with prototyping? Uh, I made my own computer when I was in eighth grade. I was 14. Uh, I remember going to a computer show. And that's like it was like a little convention and you had to pay to get in and then you could buy we my friend took me i went with a friend and we bought my entire computer from like 12 different vendors and i bought the second best processor available to the public it was 800 megahertz and i was so cool but that was like that was a risky prototyping ish thing where we we were putting something together we didn't necessarily have all of the information and we, we just kind of pulled our resources and figured it out. And, uh, and it worked out. Uh, I had a computer. It was great. And I played Counter-Strike and it was awesome. But since then, that was probably my first real, you know, brush with doing something I didn't know what I was getting into and figuring it out and, and just working through all the, the troubleshooting that's involved with that. Most recently, I needed to print a fan shroud for my 3D printer. The fan shroud blows air across the nozzle to cool the filament immediately after it comes out of the nozzle. I should have counted, but I had to design my own. There was nothing on the market or nothing in Thingiverse that worked. It needed to be super low profile. So I had some very unique specifications for it. And I think I quit 
after the 12th iteration and 12th physical piece that I printed. Now, the 12th one actually functions. It works, but it's not perfect. I had to tape it in versus it just snapping in nicely and then the and then screwing in. But I, it's so aggravating after you work on something for so long and you're like 95% of the way there. That last 5% is just so demoralizing and... It's honestly boring because you've kind of figured it all out and now you just have to keep iterating until it's perfect. Well, and sometimes you get to a point where it works well enough that it just kind of takes all the steam out of you as far as making that iteration number 12. Mm-hmm. And your computer story just makes me feel really old because, yeah, yeah because I'm, I'm just did the calculation and I'm uh, from my first computer to yours, I'm... Uh, I'm 799 megahertz older than you. <laughs> yes. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. Sidebar. Tom? Yeah. Did, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Is That's that's a big step in megahertz there. Is she qualified to be on the podcast with us for, I mean, she's only running at five megahertz. Can we, Wait, are we able to account for that? The, are there Are there qualifications for being on the podcast? Well, I mean, you have to be able to, to move fast enough, and she's only going at 5 megahertz. I mean, that's th- is that going to be a problem in the future? I mean, once... once well, 1 we... megahertz. She said... I thought she said 799. We could we could double check. But uh, that was her first first computer, not her most recent. So I think she's up to speed. Oh, oh I totally misunderstood that. Uh, I... she's, she's, she's coming back here. That that sounds very interesting, Tanda. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I did... Sorry about that. It it takes a while for my mouse click to take effect. Right. Yeah. That, well, that's okay. But we we were we're we're ready to go. Yeah. So um. So, Tanda, what what were you? Uh, what's your personal history with prototyping? I think everything I do is pretty much prototyping from the time I started to uh, to now. I mean, I made I made an early computer as well, which. In some ways, you might call it a prototype. It was my first computer, but it wasn't that I made a next a new version of that computer per se. I, I you know I started from scratch and made built up other computers after that. I like the prototyping, um, and in some ways, I like the iteration as well. It just kind of depends on on what the what the product is or what the you know kind of environment is. But sometimes just taking something that already exists and tweaking it or making it a little bit better is is also prototyping and is also interesting to me, even if it's not, you know, the first one-of-a-kind thing. So I don't know how you guys feel about iterating on something that you didn't start, but it's it's also kind of a prototype of a next version of that thing. That, well, what you're describing... For for me personally, that isn't a prototype. That's a field modification. When you're taking something that exists and you're improving it, you're you're modifying something that exists. Um, that's that's how I look at that. I don't know. When I think of prototype, I think of something come from scratch, like just from the ground up. Um, but I mean, I'm sure that fits into the classification. I uh, I think it counts. I mean, I want to take a Pringles can and put a, you know, like the milk jug rip 
ripoff band at the top. I want to put those halfway up a Pringles can so that when you're halfway done with the can, you can just like peel it off and then put the lid back on the lower half. All right. I'm not putting the lid back on the lower half. I just want to finish the damn can of Pringles. So I, my hand doesn't fit. That's really, that's really the problem there. But that counts. Like that's, I know it's an existing invention, but I'm prototyping a better version. So it's kind of the difference between invention and innovation, whether you're innovating or you're, right. you know, some people draw the line there between inventing and innovating. Yes. But in both cases, there's prototypes. So I think it counts. Uh, by the way, Tom, uh, just yeah. a utility knife will solve your problem. Yeah, but I want the appearance that I was going to put the lid back on just for like societal pressure reasons. Just do it in the closet. No one will see you. I just want it to be socially acceptable. Just turn the can up like you're drinking the Pringles and, and be done with it. Well, that's what I do now. It's just a little messy. You know what I was just thinking, Tom? What they should do is they should make the Pringles can like they make caulking guns. You know, the tubes for caulking where you just push it up from the bottom and it just it just raises the chips up. So you're, they're always like at ring, the top. Like a ring pop? I don't know what that is. I don't know what a ring pop is? It's pretty close. You could just put a Pringles can in a caulking gun. Just cut both ends off. There you yeah. go. Yeah, that's and, what I'm and just keep feed, you know, and then just cut a slot up near the top of the Pringles can, so you can just keep feeding chips up close to the slot and pulling them out of the slot. Make a Pringles gun, a chip shooter. I, I don't know. I think they are. Oh, you could you could make it like a. Uh, oh, what were those called? The the guns that shot the little discs out. Oh boy! Disc shooters. Uh, did they had a they had a name? I don't even know. Was that what they were called? That shot the little like little frisbee looking discs. Weren't those like Nerf? Uh, are they? Although they weren't frisbee looking, they were more like a plastic washer. Yeah. Are you talking about the old school ones? Yeah. If you Google disc shooter, you'll find them. The ones from the eighties. Are you talking about the newer ones? I'm probably talking about the ones from the like 60s or 70s. But, okay, you yeah. you mean you mean the ones that shot the little discs that were like the size of like checkers? Uh, smaller than checkers. Yeah, they were but I mean maybe a sixteenth of an inch tall and maybe the size of a nickel. Right, right. That's 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 roughly the size of checkers. I'm talking about like the newer versions. The discs are like um, oh. they're they're like three inches across or something. They're, like they're bigger. They're way bigger. I do remember these, though. Well, yeah, that's because that's because kids can't choke on the new ones. All right, for for the listeners, disc shooter from the seventies will get you exactly what we're talking about on Google. Did I say Google? What? Not sponsored. Not sponsored. <laughs> uh, yeah, Google disc shooter from the seventies, and you'll get exactly. They have the hole in the middle, and then the two slots in a circular pattern. Yeah. Oh, who knew that Google yeah. was making disc shooters in the seventies? I thought they started with yeah the Google disc shooter. Wow. That's how they started. Yes. Yeah. Who knew? That's that's why it took them so long to really catch on because they had to fund the rest of it just from the sales of disc shooters in the 70s. I wonder what their next product was. Could it have been like jump ropes? It was yeah, it was probably a like a hula hoop with a with a magic light in it or something. Oh, you know, I I think maybe it was you remember those jump ropes that had like the discs on the ropes? They used to make noise. Mhm. Mm maybe that was it. Could be. Uh, small, slight correction. Spell disc with a C, and you'll find better pictures on. Oh, well, on that ruins Google. everything. It does. Well, it's like mark with a C. It doesn't make any sense. I know a mark with a C. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I enjoy prototyping, and it doesn't really matter 
you know, what it is. And, the, and toys are wonderful for prototyping. I mean, if, you, if it's been a while since you've been to a toy store, they are wonderful not only to get the juices flowing um, when you're prototyping something, but they're a wealth of really, really cheap parts. I used to go to Toys R Us and just wander up and down every aisle and kind of take inventory of what they had. And then when I was prototyping something, I would go back and uh, go up and down. You know, I'd kind of have some ideas and I would say, oh, this has a great battery holder and I can cut the battery holder off of this. And this has a little spring mechanism and I can use that. And so it, uh, it's, a, it's a cheap source of prototyping. That's a good tip. I really want to see some of these things that you made out of children's toys. Well, I, I, I tell you, um, if, if someone asked you to prototype something, hypo, hypothetical question that's not so hypothetical, if someone asked you to prototype something for them so that they could go and show it around and get feedback from investors, and, and you went to a toy store and you bought a toy and you took the toy apart and you did some reprogramming of one of the chips in the toy to make it work as this device. And you maybe took some buttons off of it and repainted it and then said, here, this, this does what you asked me to do. It's something that you can do show and tell with. Would that be fine? Would that be ethical? Would that be okay to hand them that and say, here's your prototype? That's a heck of a hypothetical. I would think so. Yeah, it was a little more than hypothetical. I, I did that. I made a, uh, a thing for, um, you remember when phone cards were a thing and you could buy a prepaid phone card and it had like this 27-digit yeah. number on it that you yep. had to punch into the phone? Used many of them. Yeah, so someone came to me with what I thought was a good idea. They said, you know, phone cards are like a pain to use. They've got this big, long number. I want to make a phone pin. So it's like a giveaway item, like a card that you get at the counter and you can recharge it by just, you know, punching in the, the serial number on the pin. And it gives you a, uh, you know, it's just like a phone card, only you can hold the pin up to the phone and press a button on it and it dials the 27 numbers and then you only have to dial the number that you're calling. So it dials this big long list of encoded numbers for you. And it's just a pin. And That's awesome. So I started out designing it, and I designed um, designed it using a chip from a company called ISP, which was like a common voice chip back in the day that you could store sounds on. And then I did my run to Toys R Us to find a housing, and I found a pin that played like, you know, sirens and laser noises and lightsaber noises that had that same chip in it. And it was already a pin. And so I bought a couple of those pins. I took them apart. I rewired them a little bit, reprogrammed the chip, and, uh, and took all the buttons but one of them off and, you know, bondoed it and made a prototype. So when you push the button, it dialed the number. And the guy sued me because he said he could not manufacture that. He couldn't take those to a manufacturer and get them manufactured. What? And... He, you know, I think in the in the long run, he was trying to put together this whole big deal where he was he thought he could show someone and they would give him money to make it, and then he could tell someone tell somebody that he was going to get the money to make it, and someone would buy a million of them and he'd walk away a millionaire. Kind of one of those 
unrealistic things. Yeah. And so I think he was just trying to get his money back. But, uh, yeah, he, he took me to court and, and ended up, uh, we, you know, we went through mediation and he made a big ruckus and screamed and yelled at the mediators and we ended up in court and, uh, and I, you know, I'm a sucker for people wanting to invent things. And so I would have, you know, I would have just given him the prototype and said, you don't owe me anything, you know, if it's a big deal to you. Right. And he, but he didn't get anything. I mean, the judge said, you know, the prototype works, <laughs> give him the prototype. That's what he paid right. you for. Um, right. I think, I think we're good here. And so it was, uh, that's crazy. It was kind of over with, it was kind of funny. Cause that was the only time I've ever been like in court and I expected it to be like on TV. <laughs> and, uh, so the judge, uh, after, after we've all done our cases and everything, uh, you know, kind of stated our case and, um, and I had a witness, a guy that I had prototyped a bunch of stuff for in the past, you know, come and kind of speak on my behalf. And so she adjourned for a while and we were sitting there in the court and I thought she would come out and be all official and say, you know, I've gone through da, 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 and I find in favor of whatever. And she comes out and she goes, I've given it some thought, Mr. Johnson, you lose. <laughs> or whatever his name was. I don't even remember. I don't even remember his name. And, uh, and he was like, but I bought it. And she's like, you lose. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. <laughs> and so, that's but, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, it's, I'm curious if I mean I think that that's fine. It was just raw material. I mean I hacked it apart and reprogrammed it, and it, it was something completely different. But in his mind, I was going to give him something that he could just take to a manufacturer and say, "Make me a thousand more of these." Right. Not a clue. That's cool though. That reminds me of um, I think it's called phone freaking, mm-hmm. where they would play tones into a payphone and steal. Like you could basically trick the phone into giving you free free calls and things like that, and I'm sure there was a bunch of other stuff, but you could have sold it to that community. Mm-hmm. Did you know that's how Apple started? No. Yeah. Um, so Steve Wozniak was phone freaking and making, you know, like what they called a blue box or black box. They had different color names for the different boxes depending on what they what their function was. But you could play them into the phone and then get like an international dial tone. And then dial out on the international dial tone. He was making them. And so Steve Jobs, being the businessman side of it, saw that there was, you know, some money to be had in uh, maybe uh, selling them to friends and so forth. And that's how they started out. That's awesome. Well, my history with prototyping is not nearly as colorful as YouTube. I didn't build a computer. Well, at least not from scratch. I always associate prototyping with inventions. And I wanted to be an inventor for the longest time, although I was probably a little ahead of my time. Most of the things I wanted to invent were, they required machinery that I didn't have access to. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have the know-how at the time. This is like in my teens, going into my 20s. But one idea I had that I did pursue was this thing that I, I, I... enlisted one of those companies that says, you know, we'll, inventors, contact us. We'll get your idea made, you know, one of those. And my product was, was termed the jog-along. And basically what it was is if you imagine something that's the size of a sunglasses case, like a hard sunglasses case that just, you know, hinges on the side and your sunglasses are in there, 
about that size, I wanted something that strapped to your arm, like your forearm, and it was a multi-use compartment, like storage compartment. So it had like a flashlight built into it. It had a slot where you could slot in your driver's license or your student ID. It had um, a place for you to store your keys, store any money. Uh, there was uh, a whole system involved with uh, foam so that when you put stuff in there and closed it, the foam kept everything from jingling around. And the entire thing, I don't know if you guys remember this, the crowd that we're talking to, but there used to be a Motorola pager system that had like a shell and that clipped to your pocket or your belt and then the pager popped out of that shell. Like it was like half, it was like a half shell. So my idea was using that same principle where there was like this shell that was strapped to your forearm and then the actual thing that you used to store stuff popped out that same way. So you could access it with one hand, open it up, get whatever you wanted. And um, it was basically for people that go jogging or go bike riding or are out walking around and don't have pockets. That was the whole idea. And I, I pursued it to the point where the company is like, okay, we need $10,000 to prototype this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have $10,000 to make this. And they're like, oh, well, then we can't help you. After I'd already <laughs> paid like for the patent search and all this other stuff. And, and then like later on, somebody told me that they, like a friend of the family said, oh yeah, I saw the thing that you want. It's at Walmart. I never saw it though. Like I never saw the thing. Like they said they saw it, but they never actually produced it. They're like, oh yeah, it's Walmart for ten dollars. <laughs> Still never seen it, but that was the closest to like an actual prototype, like what I would call a prototype. Everything that I do in my workshop, I don't really consider prototypes. I don't know. Maybe it's because prototype, in my mind infers that there's going to be multiples made in the future. Like you're making one to make like a, a footprint so that you can make more footprints of that same thing, either for yourself or for sale or for whatever. And I've just never done that. One, one thing that I did consider a prototype in the last few years is I made this thing called the Ready Measure Tape System. And I wanted to make a version two. I made a proof of concept and all it was, I took a existing tape measure and I made a system where you could strap it um, to your wrist so that it was always at your fingertips and you could pull it was a small it was a nine foot tape measure so it had a very small footprint on your wrist didn't get in the way of anything and you could pull it out measure whatever it was you wanted to then just release it it would zip back to your wrist and then you could you know you'd have the ability to mark it and then just keep going I wanted to make a, a much smaller version out of brass and make it look cool and everything. But when I did the YouTube video for that, uh, nobody watched it and nobody cared. So I just was like, okay, I guess I'm, I'm not, not making anything. Bummer. It's a thankless task for real. Yeah, I haven't had the best luck with prototypes. I just I just yeah. make things I need. That's that's. Basically. I think prototype. I mean, proto. I guess means precursor. So I I suppose my saying that everything I make is a prototype may be inaccurate because I may not make another one. It's just that I can always think of something, some way to make it better. 
So, you know, it seems like if I, if I were to ever make another one, there would be improvements. But I don't know if, uh, if the first one's a prototype if you never make a second one. Exactly. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you hard at work prototyping your latest invention, but you don't know what to do once it's done? How do you get this thing sold? Where does the words to describe this product come from? Well, we have just what you need. Introducing the Prototype Writer. That's right. The Prototype Writer is a scanning device to completely 3D model your brand new prototype. It analyzes all of the intricate details down to the atomic scale and then reproduces all of the facts needed for you to reproduce it in word format, hence the prototype writer. Act now, and we'll even throw in a free digital prototype writer ribbon so that you don't have to buy a replacement after it's done typing up the report. This is a Johnson's Hardware special for only 14 payments of $3.99. You too can own a prototype writer and get your prototype made by an actual manufacturer instead of just Jimmy next door. Contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. It's time for crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with prototyping? Design. You son of a... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. No, really, it does. uh, For a million reasons. Just like Tanda was saying, you know, she made prototypes out of the toy aisle because that is what she had access to. And it's inexpensive. So a lot of like, well, what do I have to do the thing I want to do goes into your design, especially in that prototype phase. And then once it starts, once you have that proof of concept, you're like, all right, I'll spend a hundred dollars on that thing to do it right. But design is, um, design's a big deal you, and because you have to, there's so many problems and so many things that you have to fix along the way and designing so it first of all works but then but then you have to design it to be practical or then you have to design it to be less expensive or you have to design it to i don't know be made out of um, this material instead of that material or this manufacturing instead of that manufacturing but i stole design from you never gonna forgive you for that tom tanda add it to the list Tanda? I I would say that uh, what I feel goes best with prototyping is a lack of perfectionism because I think that you have to kind of leave perfect at the door when you're prototyping and keep moving forward, or at least for me. It's it's difficult sometimes to to not just stick at one stage of designing a, a more complicated prototype, trying to get that right. Or remaking it? Are you are you trying to make it sound really cool, but you really just mean sloppiness? Is that is that where we're headed here? Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what I should have said. Something that goes really well with prototyping is sloppiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just being okay with uh, with being with it being sloppy and not trying to make it uh, 
make it perfect and just keep moving forward. And if it works, just keep moving forward. Don't, don't backtrack and try to make that first part even better. If the first part works, move on. Make the second part, move on. If you can get all the way to part five before it completely fails, then you've learned a lot. Um, instead of remaking parts one and two over and over, trying to get them just just so. Apparently, my entire workshop is a prototype um, system uh, based on what you just said. Oh, it's a proto-shop. It's a proto-shop, yeah. Just... Anyway, <clears throat> that, that, that aside, I'm going to say that the skill set that goes well with prototyping is salesmanship because – if you make a thing that you think someone else wants, you got to be able to sell it. It's got to you got to make it sound good. It's got to be a sellable item. Otherwise, you're the only audience that's going to have it and then, you know, what's the point? I would I would wager that there are a lot of makers out there, maybe some of our listeners who have made things and someone in their life or many people in their life have said Oh man, that's awesome. You should start making those. You should you should definitely make those. I mean, chances are, you know, most of us have heard that, you know, dozens of times. But it may be the salesmanship that we're lacking sometimes that that keeps that from happening. That's true. Most of those people don't realize that it's already ex- it already exists and you just made one for yourself because it was fun. If you go look at my uh my like my very first YouTube video was just me showing off my uh, RC lawnmower and to this day every week somebody's like oh you could make these and sell these I'm like first of all no uh, the liability is too high <laughs> and second of all they do somebody sells them and and you can go buy one today uh, they're like five grand but you can go buy one I don't know really, I don't think they're that expensive my brother-in-law and sister have one I made uh, um, speaking of prototype the Roomba ones yeah they have one of the real ones and uh I made kind of all-terrain, like metal spiked. Um, they look like large ring gears to bolt on to the wheels because their grass was wet and it couldn't get enough traction. So I made a set of metal, uh, kind of metal spiked additions to the wheel for it to, to be able to run around in their wet grass. Nice. I mean, I, I, tank treads would have also worked. But yeah, the Mad Max route is definitely an option. You know. Yeah, it just looks like a small lawnmower, and it has you know plastic wheels on all four corners, and it drives around. And you put a you put a wire around your lawn like the uh, you know wireless fence, Dog was fence. for dogs, and mm. uh, and it stays within that bounds and kind of remembers it, and just it just kind of drives aimlessly about for much longer than it would take you to mow their their lawn. Interesting side note. Uh, prototypes that never happened. Uh, my father kept trying to get me when I was a teenager because I was into robotics to make a robotic lawnmower. That was one of the things he was urging me to do, which I never did because I didn't think it was interesting. Uh, the other thing is when I was in the seventh grade, uh, I invented collision avoidance for cars. I was at a science fair and that was my exhibit, was a car that had a radar system to detect other cars moving it high speeds or stopping and applying the brakes to the car, you know, basically over, I don't know, two and a half, three decades ago. And now everyone is just taking credit for my invention. I get no credit whatsoever. So it's, <laughs> I had a very similar, 
I, I, I had the idea probably 20 years ago, at least of putting a heater in washer fluid. And sure enough, 10 years later or so, I saw a commercial for Buick and they were doing that. I'm like, what, what took so long? I don't understand the problem here. Mm. Well, you, there are still variants. I mean, you could still innovate on that. You could just, uh, Maybe maybe use a spark plug or some other igniter right at the little tube where the washer fluid comes out, and then use you know just use alcohol or gasoline if alcohol is unavailable. <laughs> that sounds safe. And then you could have like little mini flamethrowers and thaw out your windshield in the morning. I think that'd be worth a try. Oh my god! Tanda is really on this Mad Max trip right here. I don't know. True true story. My I I, I raced RC cars, uh, nitro powered RC cars. And nitro gasoline comes in one gallon jugs that look exactly like antifreeze. And it is even, it can't even be the same color as antifreeze. <laughs> and my father filled my mother's car with nitro gasoline. <laughs> now, nothing dramatic happened except the fact that when she used it while driving, it completely clouded the windshield. I. I was pissed because that stuff's like 30 bucks a gallon. So used it as, as washer fluid. Oh yeah. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. No, I just spray it on and ignite it and get rid of the snow without the, uh, you know, it has to be out there in your coat <laughs> with your little scraper, you know? All right. So here's, here's an invention that I never actually talked about that someone can now steal because I just don't have the ability to do it. I, I always get irritated by windshield wipers wearing out and, stuff like that. So for the longest time, by longest time, I mean at least two decades now, I've thought that the next alternative to windshield wipers would be to get a sound, uh, not sound resistant, but like a durable piece of glass for the windshield that you could actually sonically vibrate. And so anything that would touch the windshield would just slide right off like nothing would ever stick so you'd never have to worry about rain or snow or anything it would just all it was basically it's like the whole thing is made of oil because you're you're running sonic frequencies through the glass as long as it doesn't shatter you're perfectly fine hmm, that could work i have somebody that's wanted has been after me to make a prototype of something a windshield for a while that's kind of interesting that's another um another concept and it's basically you know like the little wires for your heater wires in your back windshield so use those as a a grid matrix and embed leds into the windshield so that you can have like a little signage thing in the in your back window but it basically has the same look as the you know heater wires in your windshield and then in the uh, you know like on a on a shatterproof glass, there's like a layer in between the layers of glass. So you could actually embed LEDs into the glass in a future version. In the prototype, it'd probably just be LEDs sandwiched between, you know, two pieces of plastic that you can stick to the windshield. But it's essentially clear if you use little tiny surface mount LEDs, but then you have a matrix display in your back window and you can, you know, send messages to the person behind you of your choosing. <laughs> so basically just a liquid crystal display from a flat screen TV. Um, no, it wouldn't be liquid crystal. It would be LED. But with liquid crystal, you'd have to light it from one side or the other rather than just having it in the window. I mean, you could do that. 
but you'd have to have something, some way of lighting it, which then might not be as see-through. Well, you know, we've got the nitrous fire shooting window washers. I mean, that, that should light it up just fine. That's true. If you're looking through the back window at the flames on the front, yeah. that, would be, that would be a good backlight for it. So It'd be a little hard to drive, but yeah, you could see everything perfectly fine. Yeah, that would work. I'm not sure that level of communication with other drivers is a great idea, but I do think our current forms of communication are subpar. Like everything, every communication system the car has is aggressive. The horn, even the blinkers, definitely flashing your lights, all of it. We need something else. So here's our, here's our marketing scheme. Um, we sell the device and it has pre-programmed, thank you for letting me in. Have a nice day mm -hmm. programmed in. But then yeah. on the web, we release hacks on how you can make your own codes for it. Of and course. I think I think that's the best way to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. It leaves us out of the trouble, right? Right. Under under an alias on a different website, we, we have a yeah. whole uh, you know, whole whole set of ways that you can hack it to put in your own well, you put it on an SDK, and then companies can just make, like, emojis of middle fingers and things like that, and that'd be great. Right. Another, a, a variant of that that I think would be fun, and maybe maybe somebody listening will, will try it, or maybe I'll get around to it, would be to uh, take a piece of drywall and put a matrix of little tiny surface mount LEDs on it, and then just, just mud over it, mud and texture over it. And then it just looks like a wall, but you could see the LEDs glowing through the texture, so then you could randomly turn it into a clock or a game i like it tom's gonna do it i'll be right back oh he's back already <clears throat> he must have built it upstairs i don't see it yet mm, this was made on the fly i hope you like it i don't know why but i'm reminded of that time where we went camping and ended up having to make a hard drive for Tom's laptop. Do you remember that, Tanda? Oh, that was crazy. We were shooting a commercial for something, weren't we? Was that for Johnson's? Was that back when we first uh, yeah. were working with Johnson's? Yeah. Yeah, they wanted that rustic feel, which I don't know why we agreed to it. But, yeah, that was – and they had us on such a tight deadline. Tom, Tom what, what kind – I don't even remember what model that laptop was. Uh, I was a mid-2009 MacBook Pro, 15-inch. I always thought they were more reliable. So, What even happened to the hard drive that was in there? I mean, why? Do you know? I, I don't. I, no, I don't know. Uh, I think it just got disconnected somehow, even though it's internal. I, I understand that concept, but it just, like, it wasn't recognizing it, reading it, whatever. Why would it's just faulty. Disconnected somehow? I mean, it was torn to pieces. Mm. I think a bear got it. Well, yeah. I'm, you say torn to pieces. I say disconnected. Same thing. Techni yeah. Technically, that is the same thing. But I mean, we tried. I mean, we got it. The cable was fine. I mean, we, the the cable was fine, but the hard drive was off the cable, and pretty well mangled. There was no way it was going to turn. Right. Well. The, the, Correct. Yeah. The, well, that that's irrelevant. I mean, we were we were on a deadline, and we had to get it edited while we were in the woods. That was the whole reason we had the laptop there. We had all the footage shot, but we couldn't actually get it onto the computer. So, who? I think it was my idea to try to make a new hard drive. But, uh, I'm yeah, and I was I I was always up for that sort of stuff. 
I'll give you credit for the idea. It was all your idea. Okay, but you know, you guys. I mean, you you egg me on. I mean, you thought it was actually possible to do it. I mean, we 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 found like you know quartz crystal stones, and we had you know tree sap, and we found a hornet's nest. And I mean, there it was. I mean, we had like lots of raw materials, but I mean, nothing that right. like a traditional hard drive would be made out of. Well, and the one the one salvageable item from the original hard drive was the label, which made it all seem very possible. It looked like a hard drive. That's true. It looked so much like a hard drive. It definitely looked like a hard drive with the QC label on it and everything. And I think if given enough time, maybe, I mean, we had maybe three bits kind of reliably working. So it was just a matter of time, you know, and we could sort of read them back if, you know, okay, maybe two. We had we had two bits, at least two bits that we could reliably read back. And so that gave us zero to three that we could store. And so it, it was it was a matter of time, I think. I mean, it probably would have worked if my badger phobia hadn't kicked in. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. It's like once it once you guys have never been attacked by a badger. So you obviously don't really you, you don't know what it's like, but they're they're very mean. Yeah, that badger phobia, that freaked me out when, when that started happening to you. Uh, real quick, sidebar. I, tend, tend to, are you hearing Tom? No. Did, I, I think he sidebarred himself out. What? <laughs> How do you do that? I think, I think he hit the button for sidebar, but hit his own button. I, or maybe he's ranting about something. I don't know. But he's not, he's not talking to you, is he? No. No, he's just he's he's not there. Uh, um, hold on, I mean, I can get on the controls here. I've got the. Can you remote in and? Yeah, I can. I can cancel the sidebar from my end, but I got to enter in a five-digit code, and I don't remember what a code was. It was. Oh, is it always the same code? I think I have it, because I had to do that once. It's seven eight, two five, four. All right, let me try here. All right, yeah, I think Tom. Tom, can you hear us? Uh, yeah, Doc, Doc, I'm still having nightmares about it. And now they're bringing it up on the podcast. <laughs> and, oh, I can hear. Tom? Are you guys back? Yeah, hi, hey. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, I'll call you back. I'm back. Did Did you just side by yourself? Uh, yes. Why didn't you just come back in? Well, I had to make a phone call to somebody. Uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Th- sorry about that. Sure. Yeah, no problem. So... So basically, in the end, uh, we didn't really make a hard drive. We we made a sparkly rock with a sticker on it. That got basically. destroyed when PJ thought he saw a badger. Well, I needed something to throw at it. I mean, that thing was, they're vicious. They're, I mean, you know, it's, it, if it got too close, I mean, you know, I, I, I already had, you know, the badger sweats going, so. For, for the record... We may have, in fact, made a hard drive out of naturally found materials at a campsite, but PJ destroyed it right before we were able to officially test it. Well, there's no way to actually prove that, but it was a prototype. This is like that thing where the bird is in your hand and it's, I don't know what that's called, Schrodinger's principle? I, I don't know. You're thinking of a cat. <laughs> it is a cat. Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> a Schrodinger's cat in the hand is, is worth a honey badger in a bush. Oh, definitely, definitely not a honey badger. Exactly. Yes. I think is the expression you're looking oh, for. No. <laughs> that is the expression 
I was looking for. No, no, that it's uh, uh-uh, no, honey badger don't give a. F- <laughs> he didn't. He really didn't. He didn't care. He ripped that hard drive apart, if you could call it a hard drive. It was. It was hard. It conked him good. I'm not even 100% sure that was a badger. It could have been a Sasquatch. Baby Sasquatch, maybe, crawling on all fours. Yeah. Possibility. I mean, they smell the same, don't they? I I don't know. I wouldn't know. (laughs) I wouldn't know. I've never... uh, Yeah, I've never... I've never smelled either. Well, no, I've never spelled a badger. Well, you can spell badger pretty easily. It starts with a B and it ends with an R. I, I have a dictionary over here if you need one, Tanda. But you know who we should ask? We should probably ask old Oswald next time we have him on. I bet he knows. He knows all about badgers and Sasquatch. I bet that's a bad idea. I bet. I'm just putting it out there for the record. Probably is a bad idea. I'm probably going to have nightmares from that conversation. Uh, on yeah. second thought, let's not let's not ask him about that. that that's a, yeah. Let's, let, yeah. Good plan. Sure, they made something. They made it all up. All right, guys, it's time for short and sweet. Tanda, you got anything you want to add to wrap up the show? I don't. I don't really have anything other than uh, you know, if if you're prototyping stuff, then uh, you know, just just keep at it and don't don't get discouraged. It's. Uh, it's a difficult thing sometimes, especially when it's something that you're having to prototype for someone else. It can be, uh, it can be daunting, but if you just take a little piece at a time, it uh, you can get through it. You hear that, Tom? Don't be a quitter. I won't. I won't. So we want that fan shroud finished by tomorrow. Oh, that's not happening. I broke my 3D printer. Did you really? Did it did it break because because the uh, the nozzle overheated because it didn't have a fan shroud? No, it broke because I left it unattended when it started printing and it destroyed the PEI sheet on my bed. It just ripped it apart. It's sidebar, PJ. Yeah. This is all an elaborate scheme. Remember during the week, Tom texted us mm-hmm. and said he had found a utility for his 3D printer where he could monitor it from afar. Using mm-hmm. a video camera. Mm-hmm. So the way this plays out is he tells his wife that the 3D printer broke because he couldn't monitor it from afar. And that's why he spent the whole weekend installing this software to monitor it remotely. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much, I think I'm on to him. Yeah, I think he's trying to get a new 3D printer out of this and he wants his wife to think the old one's broken. That's that's what yep. I'm going with it. Yeah. yeah. And, and the new one comes with the camera, you know, because I know he just bought a new laptop. So oh, it's Oh look, she's she's done with him. He's he's back. Hey Tom. Yeah, so well, yeah, so I mean to be honest, I I'm not upset because I ordered a uh magnetic bed. So nice little upgrade there. So if you sleep in metal pajamas, does it hold you in? Yes. Well the bed's upside down on the ceiling naturally, so it holds you up really. Ah, very cool. So it's an anti gravity bed. It's how the knights yeah. used to sleep. How do you get up there, Tom? During the day? Well, at any time you, of the day. You just Well, how do you get into bed? You just crawl. Yeah, but my bed's not on the ceiling. Mine's on the on the ground like a normal person. How are you getting up to the ceiling to to go to bed? You just crawl up there and get into bed. What like crawl into Spider-Man? Bed. How are you crawling up to the ceiling? Sure. Well, the walls are magnified. Mag- magnified? Magnetized also. 
slightly magnified, but mostly magnetized. That sounds very complicated. Uh, Tom, do you have anything that you'd like to wrap up the show with, or do you want to talk more about your... Yeah, just to piggyback... Spider-Man. <laughs> talk about the printer. Uh, to piggyback uh, what Tanda was talking about, never give up, never surrender. That's all. Uh, yeah, words to live by. So... Hmm. I would like to say welcome to our newest Patreon member, Woodturning by Alan Scannell. Someone else is supporting us. They actually think that we're doing a thing, and, uh, you know, they're, they're trying. They're putting their, their money where their fingers are. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you very much, but it, it's uh, a little assumptive that we need support. I just, I mean, whatever. Oh, we, we. Definitely need help. <laughs> Tom, we just caught you on the phone with your doctor. You definitely need support. You, oh, you heard that? Damn. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, Son of the Junk Hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Welcome to The Simple Solution. As always, we're trying to keep this show on the cutting edge of podcasting technology. We brought you a new segment, and I mean, this is, well, it's a segment about having problems. And we're going to troubleshoot the solution for a problem that one of us has. Tom's got a problem. Tanda and I are going to help him fix this problem. Hit us, Tom. What do you got? Yeah, so you mentioned uh, I got a new laptop, and previous to my laptop, I was using a desktop, a mobile desktop. It's got two full-size 22-inch screens on it. I guess all screens are actually full-size, but it's a motorized computer cart, and it's got a little thumb throttle on it. It's really cool, but now that I have a laptop that basically fits in my pocket, I don't need this giant contraption anymore so I, I need a new solution that's what i'm coming to you guys for so you're looking for like a you want it to be motorized still or do you just want it, but like laptop scale yeah it'd be nice it's got to be all in one it's got to you know it's got to hit all the points and 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 uh, do all the things i need it to do so it's got you know first of all it's got to hold my lap my laptop on it right and uh and that's kind of it Okay, so so I, I got it. I got the perfect thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hit me. You, you remember you remember those um, the uh, when you go to college and you sit down in the those like stadium seating and then if you needed a desk like the little thing would just fold out from the side and flip over and then you had like a little desk you could put your books on. You know, yep. Okay. So sure. So imagine that, but you attach it to a backpack, so then you're wearing it. And anytime you need to put the laptop in front of you, you just flip it out from the backpack and it swings around in front of you and then you put the laptop down and then you can just walk wherever you want. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a good idea, but uh, I, I've got kids 
and and carrying a backpack around with those kids all day just it's it's I don't think that's the right thing. I, I need something else. I need something else. And besides, that doesn't even have foot warmers. So I don't. Where are you going to put the foot warmers on that? I don't understand. Well, I mean, Tom, there's adoption agencies. You can get rid of the kids. That's not really an issue. Okay. Well, let's say I do that. We still have a problem with the foot warmers. Uh, well, it could, it could, yeah, it could flip. You know, you open the laptop lid, right? So once it's flipped out of the backpack, then you've got to open the laptop lid, and and that could have some uh, some strings on it. So when you open the laptop lid, the uh, the foot warmers lower down. Mm, but then I have to like attach them. That sounds like an extra step. Yeah, they'd have to be attached to the lid with some kind of cord or something. Oh, see, the uh, the motorized computer cart had um, had them built right in, and you just tuck your toes under there, and, and they're nice and toasty. Okay, so, so what you do is you build the foot warmers into your slippers, and then you use a Bluetooth system with a, with a switch, okay? So as soon as you flip open the laptop, it activates the Bluetooth switch and turns on the foot warmers. That's great, but I still have to put them on at some point. You know, with the current system... I never have to put them on. It's more like I put my feet near them. So I don't really want to do that because when I'm not using my computer, I definitely don't want foot warmers. That's That would be ridiculous. So so you build like a little spring-loaded foot warmer launcher and you just stick your foot out and it just shoots the thing onto your foot and then it turns on. Who's going to reload the launcher? Are you listening? I, I've got an idea. So if you... If you, when you pull the backpack flip table out <laughs> over, um, then um, it, it like flips over. Now imagine it coming up over your shoulders out in front of you. Yeah. And it has a little cap that comes up onto your head. So when you flip it open, it just comes up onto your head and just starts warming your head. Because my grandma said, as long as your head's warm, then your whole body's warm. Oh, yeah. That, that totally eliminates the need for foot warmers. Yeah. So that, that keeps your feet warm if you have a heated cap. You know, my, my current cart does not have a head warmer. But I... Uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. That might work. That, that might work. But, but, all right. But let's back up. This is a backpack. I got to wear this thing. I mean, my current cart has wheels and it, it basically drives itself like a wheelbarrow. It's amazing. So, so can we get this thing back on wheels? I don't really want to, I don't really want to carry my computer cart. Well, I mean, you know, you could always attach that system to your, your wheelchair that you're sitting in. Mm. You're, you're just going, you're just going about it frontwards. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got to go about it backwards. You've got to back in. So, you know, you're so used to, to moving up to a desk forward, but, you know, you just have to kind of flip things around and back into this when you're ready to compute. Like the Iron Man suit. Okay. I like where this is going. Continue. But that, that is the way. It, you, you just back into it, and then it detaches, and then you're ready to go. I mean, you got the head warmer. You got the thing that holds the laptop. You got the back scratcher. Okay. <laughs> it needs to have a back scratcher. Well, Yeah. I mean, what what computer desk holder wouldn't have a back scratcher? Well, of course, naturally. Uh, all right, now let's see. What else does this have? <clears throat> what about power? How am I going to get power to this thing? It's, it's battery operated. What are you talking about? Well, it's battery operated, but it's not. You still got to plug it in once in a while. Well, well, so if this thing's on my back, is it still on my back or is it on the chair? I lost track. 
The chair folds out from your back. I've got an I've got an idea. Maybe maybe if we make a big base with some legs under it, that that could be near a power cord. Then then maybe that would solve the problem so that you could then you could pull in frontwards, and it can have like a little opening in the front where you could put your legs through. And it would and it would be near power. And then you could just set your laptop on top of it. I'm totally lost. Okay. Is it floating on air now? Let's pretend for a minute that I'm I'm tracking with you. <laughs> so it's like a big square object with Hold a up. with a hole in the front and it's got legs. And then you can roll your chair up and if you're sitting in a chair your knees can go underneath it. Mm. Mhm. Okay. And then your laptop when your laptop flips up out of the backpack, it just sits on the top of the surface of this boxy thing. And then, and then you can plug it in. Isn't that the desk he already has? Okay, where are the wheels? Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess you're kind of right. It's, it's a desk. Okay, so you're saying take the desktop off my current desk, take the monitors off the desk, put my laptop uh, on on the desk. Yeah, I think that would work. And then, and then I'm, and that, that, that got my foot warmers. How do I, can I add a head warmer? Was there a solution? I'm not sure. 